The disciples of Jesus asked him to teach them how to pray, and so Jesus does. And the church has been building her prayer life on this pattern of prayer for the past 2,000 years. And we've been taking this prayer line by line throughout the semester and unpacking sort of the significance uh, of each of the requests that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Why did he teach them to pray this way? What can we learn about who God is and who we are and what his kingdom is like from each of these things? That's kind of how we've been going through it. But tonight, as we draw this series to a close, we're going to zoom back out and just look at the whole prayer kind of as a whole thing. The Gospel of Luke is where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. But in Matthew's Gospel account, we have a version of this prayer parked in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so so the New Testament, if you don't know, um, which is like a quarter of the Bible, essentially Christians call the Bible, the New Testament begins with four different accounts of the public ministry of Jesus, sort of like four biographies, and each of them are written by a different author motivated to show us a certain perspective on Jesus. So the Gospel of John is a very theologically designed account to demonstrate to his readers that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Okay? Luke is different. Luke is a commissioned historical account paid by some rich guy named Theophilus. How do I know that? Read the first couple verses of Luke. Mark seems to be, through the testimony of the church and through the way it's written and how it comes to us, it seems to be bursts of an eyewitness account from the Apostle Peter. And Matthew seems to be writing to a largely Jewish audience, helping them understand Jesus as the fulfillment of all the promises that God gave to and through the people of Israel. And in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's gospel account, his biography of this public ministry of Jesus, in chapters 5 through 7 called the Sermon on the Mount, I will bring it up a lot if you spend any time at the house. It functions kind of like a new Mount Sinai. If you don't know what that means, it's okay, stick around, okay? Um, but but it, it's, it, Matthew imagines that the readers and, and the people, that us, the readers, but the listeners around Jesus are, are in the wilderness, about to embark into a new promised land. And this sermon on the Mount is a kind of summary teaching of what life is going to be like in this kingdom as we are on the go. It's kind of what this section is. And right in the middle of this summary teaching, in the middle of that is what we, we get some version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's what we've been reading every week here this semester. Citizens of the kingdom of God pray like that. This is what's on their minds and on their lips and in their hearts every day, the Lord's Prayer. This is what's in their hearts. Because our prayers are the very desires of our hearts, are they not? This prayer Jesus teaches His disciples to pray nourishes them and frees their desires to fly to the Father. But this prayer also develops them. It shapes them. And it nourishes and shapes us as well. And we're going to look at that tonight. I want to unpack it for you because it's quite a claim. This prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray teaches them how to pray, but it nourishes them and it develops them. Jesus isn't just giving us a practical way to pray. He is doing that for sure. You you can definitely read Luke's account and hear Jesus say, pray this, and you have freedom to, to just go 
this is adding another prayer to the prayer, okay? So give me a little grace as I do this, but I want to example this for you. You can go to prayer and say, God, I don't know how to pray, but I bet you accept the prayer of Jesus. So I'm just going to pray how he prays. Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You're welcome to do just that. He is teaching us how to pray for sure. But when he is teaching us how to pray, he's also training and equipping and developing us to live like citizens in his kingdom in order that we might look more like Jesus in this world. So imagine, this is how I want to try to tease this out with you tonight. Imagine what would happen to you if you did start praying this way every single day. What would happen to you if you started praying this way every single day? What would happen if every day you remembered? Let's, let's say every day you just prayed it in the morning, although it's very likely Jesus intended this prayer to be prayed multiple times a day because it's, it's sort of almost pictured like we would need food multiple times a day, that we're going to run out of sustenance. To, to, we can maybe go a short time without a lot of food, but, but, but at a certain point our body starts to break down. Okay, but, but let's just say you prayed this one time a day in the morning. What would happen if every day you woke up and you remembered that you belong to God as his beloved child? If every day that was one of the first thoughts that you had. If every day you remembered you belong to God as one of his beloved children, our Father in heaven. And if every day you remembered God is not far from you, he isn't wondering what he thinks about you, you belong to him and you are not alone. What would happen if you remembered that God's character and name are unique in this world? Holy is your name, O oh God. What would happen if you didn't confuse his character and his name with the other powers and rulers of this world? And if you could remember God as Jesus has shown him to be? What if you woke every day and reoriented your understanding of hope in light of God's kingdom and his will? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of our prayers tend to start with requests, right? I mean, this is the sort of natural thing that we do. I, I bet for most of us in like the instinctual ways that we might pray, it's God help me, lead me, something like that. We tend to pray already assuming we know what should happen and then we want God's help to pass the test, to win the game, to ask someone on a date to make it through a particular trial in a particular way. But what would happen if we woke every day trusting that the will of God and the kingdom of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ are actually better for me and for everyone around me than all the other kingdoms of the world and I want to trust Him before I even trust me? What would happen if every day we prayed to God for our basic needs? Give us today our daily bread. Not seeing each other as fundamentally existing for the purpose of satisfying our needs, but looking to God who tells us He wants to supply our every need. What would happen? What would happen if every day we woke up and we believed that forgiveness, not performance, is the very basis of our security in God and with one another? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And what would happen if every day we recognized our dependence and our need for help to get through whatever God has for us today? I said a couple weeks ago, the Lord's Prayer is not a hero's prayer. 
If we knew that we had nothing to prove, but everything to gain today, and God wants to be our help, not just at the end of time, but with us and for us throughout each and every day, what would happen? There's a handful of students involved in the ministry on a group me, probably on hundreds of them, sorry. Uh, but, um, but today on, on one of y- y'all's group me's, um, I asked this question. Would you put up that first slide, Caleb? I asked this question, what kind of people do we become? No, I didn't ask that question. I asked this question. What are the messages y'all basically hear every day in this cultural moment? Now, not everybody's going to hear every single one of these, but what's interesting to me is I bet most of us hear most of these, okay? And, and you may not think this way much, but your families of origin, cultural tribes, cities, nations, ages in history, they all come sort of baked with messages that we somehow implicitly, if not explicitly, communicate to one another. So here's, here's some. I'm not attaching names to this, but I assume it's somewhat public. I don't know. But uh, here you go. Um, here's some messages we all hear. Put yourself first. Follow your heart. Life sucks. Give what you get. Protect your peace. Don't trust too easily. Love yourself. As I keep going, I want you to think about whether or not you think these are the messages you wake up to every day. Your identity is what you make it. It's us against them. You can handle it alone. Just push through. Be the best or it isn't worth doing. Never enough. Always improve. Being vulnerable is weak. People don't change. Do what makes you happy. You can keep that up there for a second. What kind of people do we become when these are the messages we're thinking about every day? When we, when we wake up and we think these things, how does that shape us? And now I want you to, to think of the messages that we have when we lean into the pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us. And I want you to compare just messages. Now listen, I didn't ask for everybody else to come up with them. I'm, I'm suggesting some messages that I think come out of this prayer. So go to the next slide over here. I just took this first list and I'm parking it over on the left. Here's what I think some messages that come to us from this prayer, for example, that you have a loving father in heaven. You have brothers and sisters and you're not alone. God is not like other rulers and powers in this world. His kingdom coming and his will being done in this world is better for us all. We're dependent for our basic needs today. We need help. Our security with God and one another is built on forgiveness, not performance. Today we'll have trials for us and we need help to get through them. With help, we can make it through today victorious. And a bunch of other people are praying for you. What if you woke up every morning and you rehearsed these messages instead of those messages? How does this shape how you defend and get yourself ready for the day? How you dress for the day and walk out the door? How does this cause you to dress and defend and get ready to walk out your door in the morning? Jesus is brilliant, y'all. He's brilliant. He knows that when we get up in the morning and walk out the door, the world isn't silent. Our mirrors aren't silent. Our phones and the cameras on them and the news articles and the looks that we see in other people's eyes, they are not silent. All the space between these things are filled with messages and narratives which shape us into the very people that we are. Friends, among the many reasons Jesus wants us to pray this prayer so often is so that we can do battle with these messages and narratives of the world and live like citizens in another kingdom. 
In three of those biographical accounts of the public ministry of Jesus, Christians often call them the gospel accounts, which means good news, the good news accounts. In three of them, someone comes up to Jesus and asks him to prioritize everything. Everything. Which of the laws, Jesus, which of the more than 600 laws in the Old Testament is the most important? And Jesus doesn't equivocate, he doesn't hesitate, he doesn't say, let me think about that for a while because it's difficult to know. It comes right off his lips like it's the most obvious thing. All of this is about loving God and loving others, all of it. These two things go together. If you don't get this, everything else falls apart. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Everything else hangs upon these two things like clothes on a hanger. That's how I picture it. If that hanger is gone, the clothes crumple to the floor. That's how foundational loving God and loving neighbors is. Without it, everything just falls. Friends, the summary of everything God commands is love. You have that on Jesus' word. This is so emphatic that the Apostle Paul would say love fulfills the law. It just fulfills the law. And I quoted this a couple weeks ago, but John, one of Jesus' best friends, says that if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, you're a liar and the love of God's not in you. The love of God and the love of others, everything else in God's kingdom hangs on those. Why am I telling you that? Because Jesus is such a good teacher. I want you to see this breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. So let's do the next slide. This prayer is structured in such a way that the first half of the prayer is about loving God. And the second half of the prayer is about loving your neighbor. How is Jesus forming us? How does this prayer shape us? If you're praying according to this pattern of prayer, one of the ways it shapes you is that you are rehearsing a love of God and a love of neighbor every single day. I'm adoring God and asking for His name to be lifted up above all names and for His will and His kingdom to be done first. Now, I think for many of us, if we already have have gotten a glimpse of the character of God, that that immediately is is unarguable. That sounds like love. But for some of us maybe who still, who doubt or or have not been given uh, sort of reasons that are obvious to us to trust and love God, I I just want to unpack that for you a little bit. Um, If you knew that in my marriage, first of all, we'd have to understand that my wife and I trust each other and we're free, okay? In that context for me to adore her above every other woman and for me to recognize and celebrate her as unique amongst all the women of this world and for me to put her needs above mine, you all, as long as that relationship is still free and trusting, you all would recognize that as a very loving thing for me to do. I know the cultural messages are a bit tough right now because we're all asking for like pragmatic partnerships and all the, and, and, and whatever and stuff like that. But I'm saying if you guys were at our dinner table and you weren't like evaluating it on a test in your social class or something, I don't know what it is, okay? If you were sitting at your dinner table and you saw me give her the biggest slice and you saw me give her the seat of honor and you saw that I was deferring out of freedom, placing her needs above mine, her desires above mine, and I was honoring her more than any woman, you would go, he loves her. This is that kind of language to God. 
Okay? Do you see? Some of you don't, maybe don't need that, that exercise, but I hope that might be helpful for some of you. That This is a loving God kind of language at the beginning of this. And if it's not clear to you that the entire second half of this prayer is about loving your neighbor, it's probably just because you forget that this is a corporate prayer. Okay? Us, us, us. Our at the top. Jesus doesn't just teach you to pray for your bread. He teaches all of us to pray every day for our bread. That we all would be forgiven just as we forgive. That we all would make it through our temptations and trials and make it to our pillows each night victorious and faithful. Jesus wants me to pray for you, not just me. So whether I have very little or very much, the fact that Jesus reminds us to pray for our daily bread shapes us as people who are both humbly dependent upon Him and people who are mindful of our neighbors. I'm not just praying that I would make it through my temptations and trials, friends. I'm also mindful and in prayer for you to make it through yours tonight. Do you see that? This prayer is such a gift. It gives us some kind of trellis. You guys know what a trellis is? Like these... <laughs> I can't really see any of you anyway because of the lights, but I, I don't hear anything. I'm assuming you're perfectly still. Um, a, a trellis is, is something that you can put in a garden for flowers and vines to grow and be shaped in the way they ought to go so they don't just like grow along the floor in the shade and then die, but they have something to climb into the light. This prayer is a, kind of, is a kind of trellis upon which our prayers can climb and our hearts and minds and lives can be shaped into beautiful pictures of the kingdom of God among us. This prayer positions us in a posture to receive whatever God has for us each day. We sang literally a, an entire song about that right before we came up here. And it tells us the truth about who God is and who we are and what God is going to be like as we... What, what, what God is going to be like and what our lives are going to be like as we follow Jesus. And what a gift that it can be prayed by anyone in any circumstance throughout history. Some of us regularly, we, 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 uh, some people in positions like mine or, or teachers, we develop like curriculums and patterns and techniques and programs that are helpful so far as they go, but they tend to only go for like a very small facet of the population for a very small amount of time. This prayer can be prayed by anybody in any circumstance. You can wake up in the morning before a new job or on the cusp of your wedding day, and this prayer is such a faithful pattern through which you can bring your heart to God. My kids can let this prayer be a pattern for their prayer in elementary, middle, and high school. Families in the Holy Lands tonight, living in the midst of a war, Many of whom have lost children, their own children, or mothers, brothers, and sisters to heinous acts of violence. If they are wondering, how can we possibly pray in the midst of what's been happening right now? Jesus hasn't forgotten them in His teaching. With whatever you're going through in your family circumstances, in your relationships, with your basic needs, with what's going on in your mind and in your heart, this prayer is a gift because as Jesus does, He creates a roof under which all of us can find shelter. He, he, he sets a foundation upon which all of us can stand. 
He provides a pattern of prayer which all of us can pray and which shapes each and every one of us into looking more and more like the people of His kingdom. And if, you, if that's hard for you to believe, I invite you just to begin praying this every day. And if it's helpful, literally, you can just start praying it word for word. I invite you, if you're if you like this sort of thing, uh, you, journaling and creativity or something, I invite you to write your own versions of the Lord's Prayer, following after this pattern and begin to offer it up to God. And I'm not asking you to do that like it's some fancy technique or something. I'm saying the invitation is to trust Jesus, that when He says, if you want to know how to pray, pray like this, that maybe He's onto something. You know? Like it's... It's, it's something so interesting to me that faith literally means trust. That's what it means. And many of us have this understanding somewhere that having faith in Jesus just means that in my mind, I, I think good things about him and in my heart, I feel good things about him. But he actually asks us to follow him. Matter of fact, often you can follow, this is such a gift when you learn this, you can follow him regardless of what you feel or think some days. And that's such a gift. I can sit in the back of this room and have no desire to want to worship God with song, and I can still lift my hands and sing. And what a gift that I'm not a slave to my feelings and my thoughts. What a gift that I still have a body, you know? What a gift that I can, I can love my wife even when sometimes I don't feel like it. What a gift that I can spend time with my kids and play even when I don't feel like it. There's freedom in learning that you are so much more, friends. And in that kind of way, I'm saying trusting Jesus doesn't just mean reading this prayer and going, sounds good, am I in heaven or something? Trusting Jesus might mean beginning to pray this way. And so I commend it to you as a form and a pattern of prayer. Sons and daughters of the God Most High, may you see Him and see His name set apart above all names. May you wait and work and long for His kingdom to come and His will to be done. Will you recognize your dependence for basic needs today and look to God to satisfy those needs? Will you find security and comfort in His forgiveness? Will you be a person who extends forgiveness like you receive it? Will you be sober enough to recognize that you will need help from God to make it through this day? And finally, Will you pray, not just on your behalf, but on behalf of everyone sitting around you because we're in this together? To the one who gave us this prayer, to the author and perfecter of our faith, to the one who promises he will finish what he has begun in each of us, to the one who has gone before us and loves us to the end, to the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and whose mercies are new every morning. To the one by, for, through, and to whom all things were made. To the one who sustains us in this very moment by the word of his power. To the one who calls all people to himself and will let no one go. To the one who knew no sin but became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. To him be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.